0: that punishment is going to come because God will always punish sin go to Romans chapter 6 verse 12 and 13 with me kind of took it and dissect this verse a little bit but I want you to catch how many of you got these Again, I'll share with you. You want to bring these. Preachers are known to lie to you. Preachers are known not to preach from this book. You want this book. And you want to be able to see what the person is saying. If not, you set yourself up to be deceived. And you're the one that is to the blame them. Don't blame the preacher. If you go in someplace talking about Amen, Amen, and you don't have the book, and that's not what's in the book, you deceived yourself. The man didn't do it. I want to encourage every one of you, get your Bibles, bring them with you. There is no law that says you can't write alongside of it. There's no law that says you can't underline. Let me share with you what I mean. When the Holy Spirit specifically speak to you on a verse, you want to write that down. You want to star it. You want to color it. You want to take note of it that the Lord spoke to me on this verse, on this word, in this area. The Lord spoke to me. There's not a college student that I know of that goes in and listens to the professor or the teacher and don't take notes. Yet we will come into God's house and don't bring one pencil, not one book, not one tablet. And let me share something with you. You don't have enough up here to remember everything that's going to be said today. Get you a Bible, get you a pen get you a pad and be a student of the word not a hearer but a student a student and study to show yourself approved a workman rightly dividing the word of God you do it and I'm going to say it to you plainly don't trust me you want to make sure it's coming from the word amen Romans chapter 6 12 and 13 listen to what he says therefore do not let your sin do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies now I want to catch what the very first part of it says don't you let it what Yeah, You know the moment sin hits. You know the moment sin begins. You know the moment you begin to be challenged with sin. You know it. You know the very thought of that sin. You know the very feeling of that sin. Young men, the Bible says, it's not good to touch a young lady. It will start some fire in your bosom that you can't handle. Young ladies, when a young man touched you in the wrong spot, you need to put hands-off signs. Because it's not wholesome for us. It's not good for us. And he says, don't let sin... Reign in your mortal body. Now, this is where we get fooled. We often think we're doing what we want to do. And in doing what we want to do, we're trying to fulfill our own desires and make our own self happy. Look what that scripture says. Do not. Let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil what? You're not doing your desires. You're doing the desires of what? Of that sin. You're so caught up with it. Your emotions is caught up with it. Your thinking is caught up with it. Oh, it feels good, as James Brown used to say. (laughs) Something feeling good isn't always good. Don't go by your feelings. Because what you need to know, those desires that sometimes you're trying to fulfill are not your desires, they're Satan's desires, they're sinful desires, and what you think is making you happy is going to make you very, very sad. It's going to lead you into depression. It's going to lead you into areas where you think everybody's looking at you, Everybody hate you, nobody likes you, nobody loves you, nobody want to be with you. All because you fell into this area of your feelings thinking you're going to fulfill the desires of your feelings when you are really fulfilling the desires of sin. The problem with you and I, what we have a problem doing is calling something sin. You can't control Sin. He goes on and he says in that verse 13 then. Do not offer your parts of your body to sin. Don't offer them. You have to put them out there. Young ladies, if you dress in such a way that you put it out there, some man going to grab it. And men, if you put your money out there, some young lady going to grab it. And what the Lord says, don't even put it out there. Don't put it out there. He says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Now, what He calls you to is this a choice. You have a will. Is your will to offer your body to the things of God and righteousness, your choice, exercising your will, or your will to offer your body to that which is sinful and destructive? Your will. Your choices. And he says, you have the privilege of doing that. Your choice. We're going to see that with Saul. Saul we go back and look at Saul's life here in a few moments. But he says, don't do it. Don't let sin reign in your body. I had a little illustration up here I wanted to show you because Westford Dictionary, it's surprising sometimes how much the dictionary agrees with the word of God. Because the word reign there, if you follow it long enough, It goes to the word also infection. If you allow an infection to settle into your body, does it play with your emotions? Does it play with your mind, your thinking? Does it cause you to become irritable? If you allow infection to live in your body, it will destroy the body. And if you allow sin to live in you, it will destroy you, just like that infection will. And it will cause you to be irritable. Sin causes you to not think rationally. Sin causes your emotions to get all involved. Sin causes you to be senseless. You're not even using just the sense that God gave you. And therefore, you need to be careful with that. He goes on a little further. I want you to go to me with Philippians. Let's go there for a moment. Philippians chapter 3. Go to verses 18 and 19. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. You can take this and this argued, and I'll let you be the one where you want to decide wherever you fall. You can fall on the Calvinistic side or the Arminian side with this, in this little area of who these individuals are. But the thing is, is this. Paul is speaking to those in the church. And they're in the church. Now, true, in the church, you have a lot of unbelievers. In the church, you're going to have people who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in the church but in this passage i believe paul is talking to christians the difference is when he starts off earlier in this text he's talking to the mature christian who obeys the word and the instruction and then he gets down to those who do not Verses 18 and 19, because we don't have time to go back up to 12 and come all the way back down. But let's go into verse 18 and 19. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Catch that. There's a possibility that many of us as Christians live how? As enemies of the cross of Christ Christ based on how we live our lives daily. We're living, although we're saved, we're living like who? The heathen. We're living like the pagan. We're living like the ungodly. We're acting like them, talking like them, dressing like them. We imitate them rather than Christ. And he says, everything that took place on the cross Becomes def- a defilement to you. It has no meaning to you. It's worthless to you. And therefore you are an enemy. Because of your behavior. And your lifestyle. And how you conduct yourself. That you are an enemy to the cross. Because the cross stands for everything. That you are doing, and you're doing it against the cross. Everything that you're doing, the cross opposes. Everything you're doing, Christ died for that you would not have to pay for the penalty of that sin. Christ died for But yet you go out willfully and commit that sin Not caring if Christ shed his blood for that or not. Not even giving it a thought. That he died for you. That you might be forgiven of such a sin. And thank God that on the cross. He died for our past. Our present. And our future sin. Because one thing about us. Even though we're saved. We are still sinners learning how to stop sinning. Amen. And he says, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, look at verse 19 the destruction that comes. Their destiny is destruction their God is their stomach or their desires is their stomach their worldly desires is their stomach it's never satisfied is your stomach ever satisfied really? for a moment and then it's ready to eat again in a couple of hours sometimes it's not even a couple hours sometimes I gotta tell myself how many times I go to that refrigerator and just look in I already know everything in there But somehow I think magically something else is going to appear in that refrigerator. Boy, every time I go past, I just got to open it up and just look. (laughs) Their destiny is the destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Now listen here. Their mind is on earthly things. Where is your mind at? How often during the day is your mind on heavenly things? How many times during the day is your mind going back through the word of God? During, how often during the day are you thinking about kingdom things, godly things, godly principles? How often are you thinking about that? Or is your mind constantly on the things of the world? Are your, is your mind so stuck on what people are doing to you rather than what God is doing for you? catch the difference Oftentimes, we get our minds so stuck on what people are doing to us that we don't even recognize what God is doing for us but if my mind is on what God is doing on my behalf I ain't worried about what the folks trying to do to me because God cancels all that out and he says my mind is on earthly things Where's your mind at? And don't think uh, Pastor Brown don't like music. Me and Sister Brown was there the other night for our exercise, boy, we turned this to the 60 channel on 800 and 803, and we in our bedroom just dancing away to 60 music. Hey I still got my little turnaround with her and everything, and my little dippy-doo and so forth, you know? But understand, that's not where my mind is at all the time. It's there sometimes. It's okay. The whole thing is just, where's your mind? My mind thinks about the things of the Lord. My mind thinks about the loss. My mind thinks on heavenly things or what God wants me to do next. My mind is on what God is having me to do right now. Where's your mind? Or is it just on earthly things? Now, he says that. And what we want to do is look at Saul when we get there and we want to ask this question. What was Saul's mind? And I'll draw this analogy also. Saul loses something. We're going to look at what he lost. But even though he was lost, he didn't lose his birthright as being a Jew or an Israelite. But he was chosen from among the Israelites to be in the position that he was in. But when that position was taken from him, he lost that, but he didn't lose what he was. We can lose because God chooses from among his people to serve him. And when we don't serve him, we lose. We, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose. And some of us who are saved, guess what? We don't even begin to know the goodness of God and all that God has for us. We haven't even begun to even taste and and see how good the Lord is. Because our mouth is so full of the rottenness of sin in this world. And God wants you to get rid of the one in order that you can experience the other. Go to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm giving you these verses here to set even as we get ready to look at Saul's life real quick that you'll even see these things happening in Saul's life and we'll try to point them out. We need to understand that sin will destroy us, especially our young people. You don't have to wait until you Or 40, 50 years old to destroy your life. Satan wants to destroy your life from day one. From day one. Most of us don't really start living for the Lord until after we're 30 years old or older. But look how much time has been wasted. And how much pain and hurt we've gone through. And the things we can't hardly go back and correct now. The damage that's been done to us personally not counting the damage that we've done to others because we didn't know this whole process is something you and I have to deal with in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 1 through 8 God uses a word and he uses it a couple times and through that and he's going to we're going to find it used also in the life of Saul What you and I don't like in life is this. is people instructing us. Don't tell me. I got my own way of doing it. I can handle this. And body language sometimes will say, you just back off. God gives us an instruction manual for life the Bible. The Holy Spirit is here because that Bible, if it cannot carry all the instructions of God. Therefore, he gives us the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit continues to teach us and instruct us. But the Bible gives us the basics. And from that, the Holy Spirit builds upon that's why we all have this Holy Spirit, and that He is identified in Scripture as the teacher, and a teacher is always about giving out instructions. And in Thessalonians 1, in Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers, we instruct you on how to live. Catch what Paul saying, We're going to instruct you on how to live. Now understand this. The moment you are saved, you enter into the school of instructions. Because you're not going to live the way you have lived prior to being saved. That's why we need the instructions. Most of us, even being grown, think, I know what is good. And what God is saying, no you don't. You've been programmed badly. You've been programmed by the God of this world. You've been programmed by the things of this world. You've been been taught how to think like this world rather than thinking heavenly and thinking with the mind of Christ. And now what he wants to do is teach us how to think with the mind of Christ, not with the mind of this world. And most Christians still think with the mind of this world, not with the mind of Christ. Or have the mind of scripture. That your actions are dictated by the word of God. And what you do is dictated by the word of God. And basically everything you do, you can put it on a foundational part of the word of God. And he says, boy, finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. What's the purpose of it? To please God. Now, understand this. You're either going to please God or you're going to please who? And whenever you think you're pleasing yourself, you're really pleasing Satan. Because he said, the platform for you. He's giving you the desire. And we're going to look at one, what he did. Boy, after he thought he had did something great, what he did to please himself. And he says, you're instructed on how to live in order to please God. That's the purpose of the word of God. That's the purpose of the instructions, that I live my life pleasing unto God. He goes on a little further. He says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. To do what? Do what you're doing more and more, but also gather more instructions. Keep on learning. Keep being instructed. Keep gathering the knowledge of God. Why? Because the more you know about God, the more you know about his word, the more you know about his instruction, the more you're going to please him. He goes on a little further. He says in verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul doing? He's taking himself out of the picture. Don't follow the instructions of a pastor. Don't follow the instructions of an elder. Don't follow the instructions of your best friend. Don't follow the instructions. Check it out. If the instructions are not from this book, then they're not from the Lord. I might instruct you to give $50 this Sunday. Don't do that. Hey. You hear from the Lord. Or you come and say, well, Pastor Brown, show me where it says I'm supposed to give $50 this Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that. That you come and ask. Where's that instruction coming from? And Paul says, the instructions that I've given to you are of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only instructions that a pastor, a teacher, an elder, anybody has a right to give you. Even your parents are to raise you up in the instructions of the Lord, in the nurture of the Lord. They don't have the right to just train you up in the way that they want you to go, but in the way that God wants you to go. He goes a little further. He says in verse 3, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should, be, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body. And that is a learning process in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathens who do not know God, And that in that manner, not no God, and in that manner, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish, and this is where we all fall short. The church has an obligation to punish when sin takes place. Especially obvious sin. But look what it says. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. The Lord's going to do it. The Lord's not going to wink. The Lord's not going to turn his head. The Lord's not going to be blinded. The Lord's going to sin and the Lord's going to act. Don't be fearful of what men will do to you. Be fearful of what God will do. And he says, the Lord will punish men for all such sin. As we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God. Catch that. You're not rejecting a pastor's word. You're not rejecting an elder or a deacon or a deaconess, someone who's trying to instruct you in the things of the Lord. No, you're rejecting God. And you need to be mindful of that. Who you are rejecting. You need to be mindful of that. Okay. Because it is not man's instructions that are being given. Now, turn me to 1 Samuel chapter 10. With all that information we have up front now. Go to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at Saul. We, we can't just go away. So we're going to move through Saul pretty rapidly. But the thing I want to see is this. Is some of those principles that we just talked about are they true? You need to understand this. Sin will affect you physically and emotionally. Sin will affect you physically and emotionally. Sin will affect your body and sin will affect how you think. Sin causes us to cry. Sin causes us to feel remorse. That does not mean that I'm repentful, but remorse because I got caught. Sin will cause me to lose an emotional detachment to people who really care about me and love me and follow those who don't really care deeply or love me as deeply as those that I'm turning from. That's the emotional. And we need to understand that. Why is it that when a man commits adultery, he somewhat in that window time is somewhat turning from his wife or running from the wife? Which one you think really loves him? That wife. But the emotions is all caught up. When a woman gets involved with another man, the one who really loves her is that husband. But the emotions are what? All caught up. And oftentimes we are people who follow our emotional whims rather than the knowledge that we have the knowledge should be this. I know who really loves me. I know who loves me. I know who really cares for me. I know who got my back. I know who's in my corner. I really know who is my friend. I know. But the emotions will cause you to think totally different. And you'll wind up with some folks and you'll wake up with them saying, who are you? How did I get here? You don't really care for me. But then it's hard for the emotions to let you go back to where you properly should be. Because the emotions will tell you you won't be forgiven. You won't be accepted. Then the thanking goes in the process of all what they're going to say to you. And that whole process just booms, and that's what Satan wants. Show me a mother that will reject their child, that really loves their child. I don't care what the child does. They love that child. And they will accept that child back home under certain conditions that the child will really meet those conditions. So you can always come back to my house but if you're a drug addict you can come back home but you're not going to steal from me. First time you steal you and you may not get that second chance. (laughs) You're dealing with all these emotions inside. Should I? Shouldn't I? You're trying to think it through. And Satan clouds it all. Now what we do, what scripture used for the word cloudy really is confusion. Because guess what Satan wants to do to you? Get you in a place of what? Confusion. Because when you are in confusion, you don't know whether to go to the left or to the right. You don't know who to trust, who to believe. And Satan will keep you in a place of confusion. Until he utterly just destroy you if he can. One Samuel chapter ten, verse eight. Remember the uh, the the issue of instructions. Here's Samuel shortly after being anointed king and so forth by Samuel. Here's Saul. I mean, and, and the whole thing, he's given these instructions also, and uh, he's going to go against the Philistines and so forth, but. In 10.8, I want you to hear what is being said. He says, go down ahead to Gilgal. And Samuel's giving him these instructions. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offering and fellowship offering. But you must wait seven days. You must wait seven days until I come to you. And tell you what you are to do. Now, now Saul, here's the instructions. Now, now don't give your body over to sin. Don't allow sin to reign in your body. Uh, Be willing to be an instrument of righteousness. Here's the instructions, Saul. The instructions, if you follow the instructions, they'll please God. Here's the instructions. Don't be an enemy to God. You're an Israelite. You're safe. Don't be an enemy to God. Just follow the instructions. Here's the instructions. Go down to Gilgal and wait seven days. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. Go over to chapter 13. Pick up with me in verse 8. I said we don't have time to read all through, but I want you to follow through here with me. Start in verse 7, because you're going to catch up, you're going to catch the emotions of Saul and so forth. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan in the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. What is Saul seeing? Saul is seeing his army what? Fearful. We can't do this. They're quaking. There's a lot of pastors see their congregation fearful when he said, boy, I believe we need to do this. Oh, no, we're too small. We ain't got enough money. We can't do this. They get fearful and wait. The issue is this. What's the instructions? And the instructions here is to wait. And what Samuel said to him, I'll be there. He didn't give him, I'll be there eight in the morning. I'll be there by noon. I'll be there by five o'clock dinner time. I'll be there on the seventh day. Even if it's the last minute of that day, I'll be there. And you are to wait for me. You are to wait for me. Now, hot-headed folks will cause themselves a lot of pain. When I was working at Chrysler, one car was down and I was waiting for a ride. And and this person was supposed to pick me up right after the shift. And I waited about 15 minutes. And I walked from Twinsburg to Wooster Avenue. Now, who did I really hurt? The person who was going to pick me up or I hurt me? And all the way while I'm walking, I'm a steaming. The Lord was nowhere in sight. <laughs> but who did I really hurt? Yeah. And there's a good reason that they were late. But I hurt me. I'm getting home trying to soak my feet. I'm getting home, Lord, my knees, you know. And he said, Wait. Wait. Seven days. Just wait. He waited seven days. The time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began began to scatter. What's going on in Saul? I'm supposed to go to war? And this little army is fearful? And the men are getting ready to do what? They're running off. Go a little bit further because see... What's happening in, in Saul's mind? Somehow I got to do something to keep the men where? Yeah. The men begin to scatter. So in verse 9, so he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Did he do wrong? His assumption was, if I go ahead and seek the favor of God, the men will do what? Yes. But in Deuteronomy, it speaks about the only one who can do these offerings is who? The priest. And Samuel said, wait, I'll be there. And the seventh day had not yet ended. But what I do, I put my eyes on who? Who? Rather than keeping my eyes on the instructions that God has given to me. And he see his men fearful. He see them leaving. So he's going to act. Never act out of your emotions or your fears. Believe what God said. And follow through with the instructions. And let it all rest on God. Not on yourself. Let it rest on God. He comes a little further. He said, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out and greeted him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Samuel replied, when I saw that the men were scattering. Boy, I got to come up with some idea. I got to come up with some plan. I got to do something. And that they did not come at the set time. And that you did not come at the set time. It's your fault. Your fault I didn't follow your instructions. You have been there on time. And that the Philistines were assembling. Oh boy, I'm looking at what the Philistines are doing. I'm looking at what my men are doing. I'm looking at what's going to take place. And all this fear begins to take place and all my emotions begin. And Mikmash, in verse 12, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled. I felt that I had to do this. The young man got me in his arms and he's kissing me and playing with my ear and doing this and that. And I just felt compelled. Well, the young girl was allowing this to happen, allowing that to happen. And I just felt compelled. And I just saw $50 laying there by the cash register. And I knew it wasn't mine. But I just felt compelled. I knew that car wasn't mine, but yet the keys were in it. But I just felt compelled. Boy... And believe this, Satan will give you a sense of being compelled to do something that is wrong. And Saul says, boy, I had to do this. I had to do this. Samuel replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, all the fear and everything that took place, what the Philistines were doing, what was happening over here? And see, you and I are just like that too. We get our eyes on the wrong people. You need to have your eyes on Jesus. And you need to ask, this, Lord, what are you instructing me to do? Period. Period. Come on down into verse 13. Look, look what he said. You acted foolish, Samuel. You have not kept the commandment the Lord your God gave you. The instructions were not mine, they were God's. Not mine, they were God's. And you have not kept the commandments the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Now, now I want you to catch that too. This is something that he says, boy, if you would have been obedient here, your kingdom will have been established for all times. Catch the wording there. All times. Okay. So he loses that privilege. He didn't lose the kingship here. It didn't say that you, you're losing your kingship. But you're losing the establishment of your kingdom for all times. Hold to that thought. Okay. And that's what he lost. Okay. Now, oftentimes we don't see as instructions as something being very important that we need to do. God gives instructions that we need to follow. Now, over in chapter 15, guess what? He gets some new instructions. This time, not against the Philistines, against the Amalekites. I want you to see a habit that forms. Because sometimes you get away with something the first time. And punishment don't come right now. You go do it again. And you go do it again. See? In fifteen one, Samuel said to Saul, I am the... One the Lord sent to anoint you, king over the people of Israel. But in all that, he's going to go against the Amalekites. When you get into verse 3, he gets his instructions. Here are the instructions. Now, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. Kill everything. Kill it all. Remember, God is giving the instructions again now. Only thing He has to do is just go do it. He summons His men. They attack. And they destroy everybody but the king. So when you get in verse 7, it says Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. What is he supposed to do with that king? Yeah. But he gives him life. One. Let's go a little bit further. Uh And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and the cattle, and the fat calves, and the lambs, and everything that was good. What was the instructions? Yeah. See, when man began to put his reasoning reasoning into something, and that which makes sense to man, the Bible and God's instructions is never sensible to man. It goes against our sensibility, if I might think. Or what would be sensible? God, you're going to waste all these good sheep? There are some good lamb chops here, Lord. You know? Lord, you're going to slaughter all these cattle? You're going to get rid of all this? That didn't make sense to them. It may not make sense. But it's good for us. It's good for us. Obedience is always good for us. Let's go a little further. In 10 it says, boy, the Lord was grieved. But go down to verse 12. I want you to catch... A change in attitude and thinking and mind. Now, I made one mistake earlier. I didn't follow the instructions. Now I'm doing it again. Now now look at verse 12 here. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own what? Where's his mind at? Is his mind on the things of the Lord or is his mind on who? Who is he praising right now? Who done won this battle? Who done did this thing and that thing? See, it's very easy when we shift our mind from God to self, we can very much see it. Because we begin to honor ourselves. We begin to praise ourselves. We we begin to think of ourselves more than what we are. Now, you couldn't obey, but somehow you think this little victory you had is something that you should be proud of, and you're going to go raise a monument to yourself to honor yourself for what you have done not knowing even in your disobedience God is the one who calls you to not get whooped but look where the mind is at remember what the scripture said in Philippians mind on earthly what only thing he had to remember is this that little statue or whatever he put up as a monument to himself God going to destroy it anyhow Everything you think you've built for yourself, every honor you think you've received for yourself, every citation, everything you think that you have hanging on your wall, praising you, guess what? God gonna burn it up. (laughs) You can't take it to heaven showing it to God. Look at this trophy I got, look at this plat I got, look at this recognition. God that don't mean nothing to God. But it's your obedience. It's your obedience. It's your obedience. Now, Saul then does something else. When you come down into verse 15 with me, because Samuel comes on the scene and. When Samuel reached him, Saul said in verse 13, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. No, I haven't. Samuel hears the the sheep, the cattle. And when he gets in 15, he said, Saul answered, The soldiers bought men from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep. Why? Because Saul said, What is this I'm hearing in my ear? So again, he now, he puts the blame on who? The soldiers. This is a good point to stop and talk about leadership for a moment. Leadership cannot respond to the soldiers or those who are following them. They have to follow God. Then God has to deal with everybody else. If Saul would have told his men, kill those sheep, kill those cattle, or kill me, God would have stepped in, I believe. Because now he would have been following the instructions of who? Of God. And God will always defend those who obey him. God will always protect those who obey him. God will always lift those up who obey him. Now, now just come just a little bit further with me. Give me about 10 more minutes here. And And he simply says, boy, in that 15, the soldiers did it. Now, when you get to verse 16, look what Samuel tells Saul very quickly. Stop! Have you begin to listen to somebody's excuses and blame game and lying and everything else. You just swells up in, in you. Stop. And sometimes you let like, stop your lying. Stop your blaming. Stop this. Stop. And that's where saying to Stop. Because the bottom line is this. You did not follow the instructions. No matter what all your excuses are. hey. Yeah, they saved them for the devotion of God. Yeah, they saved them because they were going to sacrifice them to God. Well, follow this thought for a moment. If I have three sheep at home and I'm supposed to kill all these, but I get some of these, I'm going to sacrifice those and I don't have to sacrifice what? My own. Boy, I'm going to sacrifice them, but boy, the offsprings of those sheep and those cattle, I'm going to sacrifice that one, but there's any babies come in between. He didn't talk about them. I'll keep them and sacrifice the other. Men always have another alternative motive other than just following the word of God and the instructions of God. It's not your alternative motive. It's following God's word. Well, I can make double time on Sunday if I go to work on Sunday. You know, the Lord showed me he could put more in my bank account if I skipped Sunday and go to church on Sunday than, and just worked on Saturday. And I had guys tell me, you dumb, you foolish. Man, we get that double time on Sunday. No, Sunday I'm teaching Sunday school. And God blessed. It was just amazing how God worked it out. Because when I forget God and I put something ahead of God, I'm the one losing, not God. I'm the one losing. And he, and he goes on and he said, and Samuel simply says, stop. And, w- and when you come on down in the verse 20, after Samuel goes through his little spill, again, look what Saul said. But I did obey. Now you're going to argue with God. I did obey. I did follow the instruction. And it's very clear that you didn't. Listen how Saul sums, sums, sums this up. But I did obey the Lord in verse 20. Saul said, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and bought back Agag and the, their, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle for the plundering, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. He's giving his reasoning... For him not being what? Have you ever sat in with people who are giving their reasoning why they were not obedient unto God? God says don't commit adultery. Well, God, you don't know the woman you gave me. She don't cook the food on time. She don't cook it the way I want. She don't wash. She she don't keep the house clean. She don't do this. Lord, she's just in the TV. Lord, so wonder I went out and committed adultery. It's all your fault, God. And we do the same thing with the man. You don't know what kind of husband you gave me. He's, he ain't worth two, two nickels rubbed together, Lord. You could have kept him, Lord. But what we forget is this. We both chose each other. Now, are we going to follow the instructions of God in marriage? That becomes the issue. He goes on, and then Samuel comes up with this little phrase that we all well know when we get to verse 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And he talks about that. What's important is obedience. I hear people all... The Lord delights in his praises. Yes, he does. But it's not his praise; it's your, it's your obedience. A lot of people want to praise God, but not obedient to God. And what God desires is your obedience. Because if you're obedient, everything else will follow, even your praises. But you go around praising God, and you're not obedient to God. Don't think that God is pleased with you. You can raise up what you call holy hands, but you know whether or not you've been what? Now, remember what I told you the earlier part that where God said he lost the right of having his kingdom ongoing forever? Look at it here now. God even shortens it. Look at verse 20, 20, 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft, and arrogance like evil or idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as what? Yeah. Not only have now you lost that, this kingdom, would be established forever in your family tree, you immediately now do what? Lose kingship. And what people don't see sometimes is what they're losing. Some of us sin and we've lost something that will be in effect 20 years from now. And then sometime the sin takes effect right when? The punishment takes effect right now. With that, you begin to see, and, and we don't have time, and I'm going to just close out. With that, you begin to see things happening in Samuel, thinking and emotional. His whole process begins to change. This whole thing of the instructions. His emotional problems you begin to see in 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. Jealousy with David. You begin to see that. Jealousy is always an emotional problem. And he begins to have that. Even to the point it says in scripture in that chapter 14 and 15, it says he begins to fear David. And then when you get into verse 20 of 18, he said, he fears him more. That fear has heightened now. And that's emotional. That's mental. You try to be around somebody that you fear and see what your emotions, what takes place. And what it does to you. Watch a child that's around somebody who they fear. You will see the reactions and the emotions of a child. How many of you saw the news report about this dog that was trying to protect this baby? And the parents didn't know why the dog was acting the way it was acting, but the dog was protecting this babysitter who was yelling, screaming, and and hitting this child 18 months. That dog's emotions were going off the hook, and the people couldn't figure it out. They had to put the dog up. Our emotions run similarly. Then in, verse, then in chapter 20, it says, boy, he became angry at Jonathan. And in that same chapter, he even talks about Jonathan's mother, his wife. See the emotional roller coaster that sin put you on? Boy, yeah, you just like your mother. Yeah, you just like your daddy. Yeah, you ain't going to suppress me. No, you're not going to be able You're not going to. And that sin just begins to roll, you know? And it's emotional. And then it says, Saul got so bad, when you get to verse chapter 22, he has the priest killed. Sin will get you so wrapped up that you won't have respect for mama, daddy, pastor, brother, sister, You'll be so locked in with sin, you don't care who you hurt. And you know, when he gave orders to the soldiers to kill the priest, and the soldiers backed up. But look at the emotional and the thinking, because sin deals with your thinking. In his right mind, he would have never touched the priest. But he orders them to be killed. The soldiers back up and another person does it. Then in 28, Saul no longer calls on the Lord. He calls on a witch. He calls on a media. Now his mind really gone, isn't it? Where before, boy, he was sacrificing to the Lord. He was trying to call on the Lord. He felt compelled to call on the Lord. Now he ain't got to a point, he's not even compelled to even talk to the Lord no more. He's going to talk to a medium. When sin gets hold and deep into your life, you'll talk to everybody else other than a brother or sister in the Lord. You'll talk to everybody else but a pastor or someone who will guide you right. You'll go seeking out in some other manner. The last one, is in 31. three through six. His sin cost the life of his son, Jonathan and his two other sons, and the life of himself. His sin. His sin cost the life of his sons and of himself when you sin your sin will not only affect you it's going to have damaging effect upon the lives of others and you do not know what degree Those effects might be sin. It affects us. Physically, emotionally, it affects us. It brings on depression. It brings out stress. Sin. Sin brings out anger against people who you love. Sin will tear down relationships that took years to build. Sin will go through money like fire burns through paper. There's not enough money to keep up with sin. And people who will suffer behind it. Let's pray. Father. We're so thankful that, Lord, you warn us about sin, but may we have an ear to hear. For, Lord, you have given us instructions on how to please you, how to live before you. May that be our desire, to live in a way that is pleasing to you, to live a life that is holy before you, to live a life that is righteous before you. May that be our desire and what we hunger for. And Lord, I pray that we'll understand the damage that sin can cause in our lives.